0: Jonah is, in case you've missed the past couple weeks, I'd encourage you to listen to the audio, watch the video online, but I'll, I'll catch you up very quickly. Jonah is a man who has been used of God and has kind of been a hero of God's. He's prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel that they would have military conquests, that they would win back some land from their arch enemy, the Assyrians. And that prophecy became true, and Jonah is maybe even potentially a bit of a national hero. And God comes to Jonah with a new mission to go to Nineveh and to cry against it. And Jonah does not like that latest mission. These are his enemies. Uh, the Ninevites, that's, that's the capital city of Assyria, so arch enemy of Israel. And the Ninevites and the Assyrians, they're known for being cruel. They're known for their ability to torture people. Uh, they were really known for their ability to skin a person alive and yet keep them alive so that it was torturous. So these are, these are pit bull people, okay? Nineveh is the biggest dog cage you can find filled with pit bulls. And God tells Jonah, go there, prophesy to them, tell them that their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah decides no. Fleeing from God, he decides to go as far away from the presence of the Lord that he possibly can. Now, he can't actually get away from the presence of the Lord. It's a fool's errand. But he's going to try. So he boards a ship headed to Tarshish. I want to show you a graphic just so you can see this visually. Uh, Jonah is in the Joppa area there in Israel. And God tells him to go 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, modern-day Iraq. So Jonah decides, nope, going to Tarshish. I'm going to Spain, which is literally the corner of the known world. This is as far as Jonah could possibly get away from Nineveh that he's going to flee to. So he gets the ship. He goes down into the ship to sleep, and there God begins to interrupt Jonah's life. There God sends a storm and begins to break up the ship that he has trusted in, in an attempt to bring him back to himself. And it's a storm that's so fierce that these pagan sailors, these mariners who know the sea, apparently chalk it up to supernatural because they stop trying to to navigate it and they just start praying to their own gods. And we left off last week that this captain of the ship comes to Jonah and he asks him a question. That's angled at Jonah, but the author of Jonah, it, he really angles the question back to us. And it's meant to slap us in the face, honestly. When verse number six, he comes to him and he, and he asks Jonah, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Like, how can you sleep? What, what are you doing? What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. What, what is this shipmaster asking Jonah? He's, he's saying to Jonah, Jonah, how could you sleep? Men are above board, taking on water, perishing, Wake up, call on God, ask him to save us because we're dying. And this is meant to be to you, the church, us. It's meant to say, wake up. How can there be people around us that are dying, that are perishing, that we don't care enough about to wake out of our slumber and to cry out to God and ask him, save them. Do something for them. And the story continues in verse number 7, where we'll pick it up today, and we find several valid lessons all throughout chapter 1, but I want us to see first this thought that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Here is Jonah in verse number 7, who's already been interrupted, but it continues and it gets worse for him. verse number 7, they said, everyone to his fellow, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. Casting lots, we're not exactly sure what that was, but it would be similar to maybe drawing straws where you get the short straw and it's you. Maybe it'd even be similar to flipping a coin, heads or tails. I know my brothers and I, we did uh, uh, rock, paper, scissors. That was our way. If we wanted to settle an argument, best two out of three, rock, paper, scissors. And somehow God was in that. He knew how to direct our hands. And se- no, I'm just kidding. It, it, it was always, it never worked. It was always like if I won, yeah, God blessed it. If I didn't win, then it was a joke. But <clears throat> that's, that's kind of what they're doing here. They're somehow trying to see why has this happened. They, they have enough inclination to know that there's something to this just beyond a storm hit us. They, they see it as supernatural. And undoubtedly... Jonah knows 99.9% why the storm has come. Jonah knows in his heart why it is that God has interrupted him, that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But no one else knows this at this point. No one else knows that he's on the run. No one else knows that God is pursuing him. So they begin to cast lots. And at this point, I think to myself, Jonah, why don't you just come clean, man? Why don't you save them the time? Why don't you save them the trouble and just say, I'll confess, no reason to cast lots. It's me, but he doesn't. And the the verse says in verse number seven, so they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. What's God doing here? God is in his mercy. He's giving Jonah multiple opportunities to fess up. He's given him multiple opportunities to come clean and to say, it's me, I'm guilty, I turn, I repent, I'm going back to the Lord. But Jonah does not grasp the opportunity. He doesn't seize it. He makes God sniff him out even further, and he makes God shine a light on him to expose not just his heart between him and the Lord, but to expose him to everybody around, and so that they clearly know this is who this is, and at the same time, God is, he's giving him opportunities, he's trying to move him to himself, but he's turning up the heat on Jonah, and he's gone from the storm and waking him up to now these people are going to clearly know Jonah is the culprit, Jonah is the guilty party, Jonah is the one why this this storm has come and at this point in the story, Jonah is, he's exposed, he's discovered, he's found out, everybody knows it's me and then verse number 8, they begin to barrage him with questions naturally. They have this inquisition that happens and they say unto him, tell us we pray thee for whose causes evil is upon us, what is thine occupation, whence comest thou, what is thy country, what people art thou? They basically say, man, why did this lot just fall on you? What's the deal here, Jonah? Who are you? What are you running from? What's going on here? And, and what God has done at this point in time is God has taken a light and he's, he's shined it on Jonah. You ever been there where you are, you're driving down the road and all of a sudden there's red and blue flashing behind you and you think, oh, no, no. You pull to the side of the road, and that super annoying spotlight, we have a couple of police officers in the room, I'm sorry, your spotlight is super annoying, it shines right in your rear view mirror, right in your eyes, and you want to move, you don't want to be rude, because you think, like, I'm going to get a ticket if I move that out of my face, so you just sit there, like, with your eyes closed, and then, you know, they come up, knock on, them. you ever had that, where the lights are, are right behind you, the spotlight is in your face, and you're toast, you're done, you're found out, you're guilty, This is where Jonah is. God has just laid him to the side of the road and put a spotlight in his face to say, look, you can run from me, Jonah, but you can't outrun me. Jonah, let me make this clear to you that I am in control. I am the one who's, you're trying to get away, but you're not going to get away. I'm curious to know this morning, how many of you have ever run away from home? Don't raise your hand yet. Chew on it. It's okay. You can confess. Maybe you were like six and you packed a suitcase and, you know, you made it to the backyard. Maybe you were 16 and you made it for a couple weeks or months. I don't know. But who in the room ever, honestly, you ran away from home at some point in time? Or you at least tried. Maybe you didn't make it far. I right, saw so a few of us. There's a few less than I thought. I packed a suitcase one time. I was like eight. My brother had just tortured me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to pack my little Thomas the Train suitcase. And got, I had like three toys. I don't even think I had any clothes or anything. I made it to the front door. Most of the time when people run away from home, it's exactly like they're running away. It's never about the two. You never had this great game plan where I'm going to get there. You, it's always just i want to get away from this. So you make it to the tree house. Maybe you make it to the neighbor's house. Maybe you make it three hours. But generally speaking, you found out, you get brought home. Jonah is a man who's running away from God. Now, I'm not going to ask if you're running away from God ever or at the moment. Generally, this starts about driver's license age. You get your driver's license, and then you start to think for yourself, and you want to you start running away from the Lord. Some of you teenagers in here, you're just about to get your driver's license. This is about when it starts. And Jonah is a man who is doing his best to get away from God. He really doesn't have a, a logical game plan, but he just wants to get away, and now he is found out. But he's doing his best to ignore the situation. He's doing his best to sleep through. He's doing his best to, to ignore the storm. He's doing his best to see if maybe I can, I can get past these lots and no one will expose me. He's on the run, and he's, he, what he's doing is he's trying to avoid God getting his attention. He's trying to push it to the side. He's trying to relegate God to the back of his mind. He knows he's on the run. God is pursuing him. God is shining a light on him, but he's trying to ignore it. Isn't this what we do when we're on the run? I've seen many people start to adjust their theology when they decide that I'm not going to live for the Lord. It's amazing how all of a sudden they become agnostic or they become quote-unquote atheistic. I've seen people that begin to you know, just kind of ignore that, that portion of my conscience. Yeah, I'll listen to this and I'll listen to that, but I'm just going to sear that part of it and I'm going to push it to the side and I'm going to ignore what, when God's trying to get after me, when he's trying to speak to me. We do what Jonah is doing here. Maybe... Even at some point in time in, in the past month or a decade ago, God began to nudge you into, maybe he nudged you into full-time ministry. Maybe he's nudging you just to do something right now and to serve or to share the gospel with that coworker. but you ignore it and you ignore it and you ignore it and you try to, you try to push it to the side. And even through these sermons, maybe the past couple of weeks, you've, you've said to yourself, I'm a runner. God is after me. God is trying to show me something. And and it hits you in the face on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday, you're able to push it to the side. You're able to ignore it a bit more. You're able to hope that maybe we'll get to something else next week in the Jonah series. But the truth is, if you're honest, you're running. And it may be a long run. You may be running for years. And maybe no one even knows you're running. Your spouse may not know. Your kids may not know. No one in the church may know. But you know. And God's using Jonah 1 to put his spotlight on you and put you on notice and even send a little bit of storm into your life and to unsettle you. And if you're honest, you know I'm not doing what I need to do. God has told me to. He's clearly, I know his word. I know what it says. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. But, but you're on the run. And it's easy for us to run from God. It honestly is. We're, we're We're human, we're fragile, we we oftentimes, the the song says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's us. We run from God for a lot of silly reasons that we convince ourselves that they're valid. We run from God because we feel like life hasn't gone the way it should have gone. Well, God, you didn't work this out for me, and you didn't do this, so obviously you haven't helped my life, so I'm going to start running from you. I'm going to start ignoring you. I'm going to start trying to get away from you. We, we blame God, and then we fail to set Jesus on the throne of our heart and make him Lord of our lives. We, we run from God because we think that it won't be good. Well, if I surrender to that, then I'm going to be poor. If I surrender to that, then I won't have the relationships, the friendships. I'll have to distance myself from some people. I won't get what I want to do. And, And what Jonah is doing at this point in the story is he's on the run. God said clearly, I want you to do this. And Jonah said, that's exactly what I'm not doing. Isn't that our story? At least part of our story? Where God comes to us and he tells us clearly, I want you to go in this direction. And we say, you know what? I'm going in that direction. God says, I want you to do this. And you say, no, actually, I want to do exactly the opposite of that. I want you to stay away from her. I want you to stay away from him. You know, they're exactly the person that I want to have a relationship with. I really would just like like to marry them. I'd like to have a relationship with them. We we run over and over and over where even through a sermon or even through some teaching, you, you begin to learn that God says, okay, I've given you so much. Trust me with your money. Don't touch my money, God. We have this human propensity to be really good runners away from the Lord. There's even a, a TV show that just came out recently where people it's a game where you have to run from the cops. There's like these ex-FBI people that hunt you down and your goal is to run. And honestly I, I, I see something like that I'm like that sounds like fun. I would love to try to, like as a game, try to escape as a fugitive. There's something inside of us, the, the sin that like appeals to us. Like I would want to run. I would want to hide. I would want to do that. And we that's naturally us that we go through these segments of our lives where with God we decide I'm running. I'm not doing it. And God will pursue you. Let me tell you, you can run from him, but you will not outrun him. He will catch you. And listen to this and listen to this well. He will... He will not pursue you. He will not catch you. He will not chase you down because he wants to pay you back. He'll do it because he wants to win you back. That's what he's doing with Jonah right now. God's not trying to pay Jonah back. He's trying to bring Jonah back. He's trying to put him back on the mission that he has intended for him. This is not some, some sort of divine retribution where God is exacting his pound of flesh out of Jonah just as, just as a silly joke. This is God trying to get him back on mission out of love, out of mercy. Yes, he's chastising him. Yes, he is punishing him as a good loving parent will do with their children. But he's doing it as an intention to bring him back, to take him back, to win him back, and to have him operate in the sphere of evangelism that he has for him. And I don't know your story or why you're running. I don't know your level of resistance to the word of God. But I can tell you this, 2,000 years ago, your judgment was paid for on the cross. And now it is no longer that God is trying to pay you back. In your life, God's trying to win you back. He's trying to pursue you. He's wanting to chase you down so that he'll bring you back to himself. So don't be Jonah. Don't continue to run. He. He wants you. He loves you. He's not vengeful. He cares for you, and he wants you back to himself. But Jonah doesn't respond in a, okay, I surrender, I wave the white flag way. He continues the story with, frankly, it's idiocracy. We're going to see through the next few verses that Jonah is a man who ignores the source of wisdom, God, and because of that, he begins to act in very unwise and foolish ways. And that's always the case. When you ignore the source of wisdom, when you ignore God himself, you will do things that are outlandish. And here's what you find in Jonah chapter 1 verse 9. They ask him, who are you? What are you doing? What's your country? And he says unto them, I am an Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now you can't ignore this verse because this verse and chapter 4 verse 2 are both verses that are clearly intended to teach us a little bit about God. There's supposed to be creedal statements that show us, here's who God is. He's the God of heaven. He made everything, which is a, a big truth that we hold fast to. We even, uh, yesterday, 50 or 60 of you, were in a, a class, the Firm Foundations class with Scott, that we talked about creation, and how God made everything, and this was his intention, and this was his design. And Jonah says, look, I here's a description of God, this God of heaven who made the sea, who made the land, who made it all. Jonah knows who God is, but... He's still running. So you have to ask yourself the question, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile, I fear God, he's the God of heaven, he made everything, he's big, he's strong, he's, he's creator, and I'm running from him. That, th- those dots just don't connect for me. And I don't think that they connected for the pagan sailors either, because they follow up with Jonah, verse number 10, and they say this, Then were the men exceedingly afraid, so they believe in this God, And they say unto him, Why hast thou done this? Jonah, you did what? Why would you possibly run from him? Why would you ignore him? And verse 10 tells us that he told them a little more than just about God, that for the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They're flabbergasted at his idiocracy. I mean, they don't even know the Lord, and they're able to connect the dots. Label to note, Jonah, this is stupid. You're running from the God who made everything. You're running from the creator. Why in the world would you do what they're saying? Jonah, you're this is nuts. And isn't that us when we run? We begin to ignore God and we begin to do things that are dumb, that are real dumb. We run to the strangest places. Jonah, on one, on, on one hand, going to Tarshish makes sense because it's real far from Nineveh. On the other hand, it's crazy. Jonah is in the 8th century. He's about to get on a ship, and we're not talking about the Carnival Cruise Liner, okay? We're talking about the little wooden ship, and he's going to sail across the known world. Like, that would be you saying, I'm going to run from God by going hang gliding, or I'm going to run from God and go, you know, parachuting out of a plane or live in the mountains of Afghanistan, that, that, those two just shouldn't be together. This is highly dangerous as Jonah begins to run from the Lord on this ship and he decides, you know what? This is what I'm doing. And we, we do that. We run from the Lord and we go to the strangest of places. We go get involved in some relationship that we know is gonna end in disaster. We may even get married. Like, like that's a safe bet. Like marriage God's way is great. Marriage not God's way, that is extremely tumultuous. Doesn't work out too well. But we do that. We run, and we begin to run to these, these wells to draw water from that we know are poison. And here is this man running from the source of wisdom and truth, starting to, starting to disconnect everything in his life. And, and even these men, they're pagan men, but they're trying to speak truth to him and say, hey, let us help you, prophet of God. This doesn't make any sense. Why would you possibly do this? When we run from God, we start to disconnect from the prophets in our life. It's amazing how God will, as, as you run, he'll start to put people in your life. Maybe your mom, maybe your dad, maybe, it, maybe it's your own kids, maybe it's, maybe it's a preacher, maybe it's a church, I don't know. But there's someone in your, in your life that begins to speak truth and begins to tell you, look, the chaos that you're experiencing and the choices you've made, those are connected. But we have this, this ability to say, no, 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 no. That's not I know that this storm's happening and I know that I'm not really living for the Lord, but those just those aren't connected. I can keep on I can keep on running from God. And these these are men that don't even know the Lord, but they're able to connect the dots before Jonah does, and to say, Look, here's what's happening. And in your life, as you run, people will connect the dots before you. Your spouse will come to you and she or he will try to warn you and they'll try to say, Here's a problem. And when you're on the run, you don't want to listen. Your kids will come to you, and they'll see the problem before you do. And that's a scary place to be because you're going to end up hurting people. You're going to end up hurting your family. You're going to end up hurting other people, and you don't even realize that it's happening. Prophets in your life will come and try to help you connect the dots. But when we're running from the source of wisdom, we act in foolish ways, and we struggle. Oh, no, 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 that's not me. Those dots aren't connected, but they are. They come to Jonah, and they say in verse 11, because they're afraid, and they ask him, Why would you do this? And I don't know if Jonah gives them an answer or not. Maybe he just kind of sits there, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. But they ask him in verse 11. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? That the sea would be calm unto us, for the sea rotten was tempestuous. So God's cranking up the heat even further. They say, Jonah, you're, you put us in this mess. How do we get out of this mess? We, we just want to live, guy. Like, we just want the storm to calm down, so tell us, give us some advice here, what should we do? At this point in the story, I think, like, I know, pick me, Jonah, repent. Jonah, wave the white flag, tell the shipmaster, turn around and go back to Joppa, then the storm will, will discontinue. But Jonah does not do that. Look at his response, verse number 12. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. You talk about an unwise and a foolish and a crazy thing to do. That's about as nuts as you get. What is Jonah saying? Jonah's saying two things. Number one, God, you think that you want to box me in? God, you think that you want to be in control of the situation? See if I don't trump you, God. I'll just die. This this is a suicide mission. He's not going for a swim and just going to be tugged along by the boat on a raft, okay? Jonah is like, kill me. Like, I'm willing to die before I go to Nineveh. I'm going to seize control of the situation. I'm not going to let God have control here. I'm going to put me overboard. So there's this measure of that's stupid, but then there's this other measure of utter selfishness and narcissism. Jonah, if you want the storm to stop and you really want to escape God, why don't you just jump off the boat yourself? But he doesn't. This is possibly Jonah's most selfish moment in all of the story because he tells the people, I'm not jumping overboard. I'm going to make you pick me up and throw me to my death. What he says is kill me. I'm going to put my blood on your hands. Like how could you get more selfish than that? How could you care less about people? Appa- I don't know if he has disdain for these pagan sailors or what, but Jonah tells them literally, I'm not going to stop the storm. I'm going to make you guilty. I'm going to make you a murderer so that the storm will stop. If you really want it to stop, then, let's, then you roll up your sleeves and you get your hands a little dirty, put some blood on your hands and throw me overboard. That is crazy. This is a man who is, who is utterly acting the fool. And Jonah is stubborn. Jonah is selfish. Jonah is not seeing that the, the, he's a man of God who's acting nothing like a man of God. And the men know this. And the men, the Bible says in verse 13, they're not willing to just be guilty of killing somebody. So verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. So they say, we don't want to do this, man. We don't want to kill you. And they try and they try and they try to get to land, but it's to no avail. So verse number 14, wherefore they cried unto the Lord. And you can see the concern in these men's hearts that apparently Jonah just ignores they cry unto God, Jehovah, and they say, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood for thou, O Lord, has done it as thee." What Well, they saying, God, we beg you, like we, we believe you're big, you're powerful, you're doing this storm. Don't hurt us because of this. We don't want to do this, God, but it seems like you've. we have no other option. We have no other alternative. We're going to do this. And Jonah is a guy who, he just sits there or stands there. I don't know if he's sitting, standing. I don't know what he's doing, but he doesn't jump off himself. He's going to make them throw him overboard. What a piece of work. What a, I mean, literally, how could you be more foolish than that? How, how could you make decisions that are so Crazy. But that's Jonah and his, I'm running from God, I'm disconnecting from God. And he begins to run to places that are nuts. He begins to get on a boat to sail across the world as dangerous as you can get. He begins to be put rope people into his sin and now he's going to put blood on their hands. When you run, it'll make, it'll make sense to you. You'll think, you'll think you're some rugged individualist. that you come up with some plan that no one before you has ever thought of, oh, I'll get away from God. I'll escape the consequences of the sin. I'll dabble with that sin, and it won't affect me. It won't affect my marriage. It won't affect my kids. And you convince yourself that this is going to turn out okay, it's crazy. When you begin to disconnect from God, you begin to make decisions, and everyone around you can see them. Everyone around you can know that's nuts. And you've been there. We've looked at other people and said, why would you throw away your marriage? Why would you do that to your family? Why would you throw away your career for that? W- but we have this tendency where we're in the middle of our sin to do things that are just foolish. And Jonah is disconnected from God and doing things that they make no sense. And these men, in their human futility, are trying to row against the God of heaven. But God shows his power and says, no, 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 you're stuck right there. Something's got to give here. So verse number 15, this is the part of the story where you start to clearly see that Jonah is meant to teach us the gospel. And Jonah begins here to teach us the redemption story that's in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of valid lessons, but I think the most potent one that really is designed to be here is that salvation for many is made possible through the sacrifice of one. Verse number 15, so they took up Jonah, and it still still boggles my mind that he made them take him up. They took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea calmed down. It ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and they, they made vows. Here are men, if you track chapter 1, they go from fearing the storm and they begin to pray to their gods. Then Jonah tells them, God's after me, and they exceedingly fear just in general, but now, because of this, they throw Jonah in, the storm stops, now verse 16 tells us that they fear the Lord exceedingly. God is using this man and his sin and his stupidity, God's using this storm to bring about a change in these sailors' hearts, and he's using this situation and this person, who is far from a perfect person, to draw these sailors unto himself and to teach them who, who God is, God, and that, that's a really valid lesson for us, that if you've been in church any point in time, this is, this is, these are two verses that you need to, to hang on to. Because if you've been in church any point in time, you've seen people that have been your spiritual mentors, you've seen a pastor, you've seen maybe someone who led you to the Lord, you've seen a family member who you looked up to, and you thought that they were something, and you thought that you could follow their faith, but it ended up that they were living a lie. It ended up that they were running from God, And we struggle to connect those dots. We struggle because it's like, I know that God used them. I know that I grew under their preaching, under their discipleship, under their wing. I know God used them to help my life. But at the same time, I just found out that they were a joke. I just found out they were living in sin. And that messes with us and it messes with our hearts because we, we think that those two shouldn't be. They're water and oil. But that's not the case biblically. Jonah is a man who's in the middle of his sin, and God uses him to bring people who don't know the Lord to himself. God's God. He has the ability to do that. Is that the ideal scenario? Absolutely not. Hopefully that whoever your spiritual mentor is is someone who you can look up to and is living righteously and is the real deal, but God has the ability to use whoever he wants to, and Jonah is a man who in the middle of his sin, God takes, and he begins to to shape these mariner's hearts, begins to draw them to himself, and they, they fear the Lord exceedingly. Can I say, when you're, when you're saved, you're saved by the gospel, you're not saved by the person who gave you the gospel. And I hope who gave you the gospel lives for Jesus until they die. But you're saved by the gospel. Elijah's a guy, he was fed by unclean birds, he was fed by ravens. In a way, sometimes... We get fed by unclean birds. Jonah was an unclean bird, but God used him. God took him and, and used him in a, in a mighty way in these people's lives. And now these men turn to the Lord. And really, this is, this is kind of a, a subplot to this story is these sailors and what God is doing in their heart in the midst of the story, that he's using this to draw them and he's using this to, to bring them to himself. And by the sacrifice of one man and, and his life going into the water, and we know most of us know the story that he's not actually going to die and he's going to go down three days and three nights and then he's going to come back up, all meant to show us Jesus, all meant to show us the, the sacrifice and the death and then, and then saved and, and under and then up three days later that you see the salvation is made possible through the sacrifice of this one man. And I would say this, if you've, if you've never believed on the Lord Jesus today, Jonah is meant at its core to teach the gospel It's meant to take people who don't know the Lord, who've never believed on Him, who've never been saved, and to show you that He's a big, powerful, merciful, gracious God who loves you and He's doing everything He can to bring you to Himself. He's giving you opportunities to accept, to stop running from Him, but even if you don't know Him and He's not your Father, to accept Him to be saved. And this story begins to teach us who Jesus is and a little bit about Him. Next week, we're going to look at the next part of the story, which is chapter number two. And chapter number two is this. Chapter number two is Jonah in the belly of a fish. And we'll talk about, you know, is that possible? Actually, is that miraculous? Is this a myth? We'll talk about all that. It's not a myth, by the way. But chapter two is a beautiful piece of scripture because what God does is he takes Jonah And he puts him in a situation that Jonah has absolutely no control. Jonah thinks he still has a little bit of control. He thinks, I'll just die. I'll just jump in the sea. But he learns quickly he is not in control. He's not going to outrun God. And from the belly of the fish, Jonah prays a white flag prayer. And he surrenders. And he says, God, I'm done. How could I not be done? I have no other option You you have pressed me into a corner and Jonah in repentance says, God, I'm done running. You win. Next week at the end of the service, I'll lead you in a prayer. If you're a runner, I'll lead you in a prayer next week where you can can wave a white flag and you can surrender yourself. Where you can decide, I'm done. Now, I'm, I'm giving you a week notice. If you're a runner, I'm giving you a week notice. I hope that all week long, God, God grips your heart. God prompts your mind. I hope that he gives you bad dreams to tell you that, he needs to, that you need to stop running from him. I hope that he pursues you all week long and that, and that you just can't escape it because he wants you to come back to himself. I hope that between now and next week that, that you get to a point where you say, I, just, I can't even wait. That he's so right like I look at my life I look at what I've done how I've run from God the plans I've made have completely been foiled the the things that I invested in I thought that would bring me happiness instead I got a mountain of debt I thought that that was satisfying now I have an addiction I hope that you begin to see the the Jonah that's in you and how so much of this story is you that we run to all the wrong places we do the wrong things And, and people have tried to connect the dots for you your mom your dad your preacher your friends have tried to say, look what you're doing. Stop. And you haven't listened and you've continued to run. And and I tell you, your daddy is chasing you. Your heavenly father is after you. He wants to win you back. He wants to bring you back. You can run from him, but you will not outrun him. If you can't wait till then and you want to pray the prayer today, I actually hope that that's the case. The very latest next week, but even today, I hope that some of you just say, God, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm done. I wave the flag. I give in what you're telling me to do. I'm going to do it. And no excuses, no little relegating you to the back of my mind. I'm, I'm in. I'm putting you on the throne of my heart today. I'm, I'm surrender to you. I'm, I'm all in. I hope that you'll see. If you're not running, I hope that you'll see that it's foolish. And when the temptation comes, because it'll come, that you'll learn a lesson and you won't. But if you are today, I hope that you'll give in. I hope that you'll surrender. Father.